Hey, we are starting tonight a little three-week series called A Credible Witness. And then at the end of that series, we're going to jump right into a six-week series called Holy Roar, which is a study on worship uh, based on a book by Chris Tomlin. It's going to be good. And then that six-week series is going to overlap with our churchwide life group experience. And I hope you're going to be joining us for that. Change your schedule, do whatever you need to do to move around some commitments and jump in with us for those six weeks on Wednesday nights, free childcare provided. You cannot drop your kids off and go on a date night. It's against the rules. Against the rules. Hey, I want to, I'm going to cover some ground. I don't know how far we're going to get in, into tonight's message. Um, so, but, but in the entire series, by the end of the three weeks, this is, this is what I want us, the ground that I want us to cover in the three weeks that we're going to be looking at this idea of a credible witness. I'm going to talk some tonight about what multicultural church has felt like for us here at City Life for the last few years. Diversity has always been important to us, but we've brought an intentionality to multicultural church. I'm going to talk about what I mean when I say that. Um, but I, I want us to talk a little bit about, as a church family, what that's felt like for us over the last few years. I, I want to give some in this series some, some personal observations and conclusions about what I feel like the state of the church in America is in. In one word, I'll just say I think it's in a place of crisis, and I'll, I'll tell you why that is. And I think the statistics show that. And then I, I want to show a, a scriptural support for multicultural church. I think we're going to get that far tonight. Um, we'll see. But a scriptural support, multicultural church is not a new modern idea. Multicultural church is not a social construct. I, I wrote, I, every week I write a little description that goes on the website when the, the, with the sermon that, that posts uh, on our webpage. You can go there. There's a, as you scroll on the website, there's, there's a little box that says sermons. You can click on there, and, and you can get our sermons there. You can also get the notes. The notes are online every week. Or you can go to our YouTube channel. But, but I wrote on the description that the, the two times, right, this world, we know one day is going to come to an end. We talked about that at, at, at length in our last series. So if, if that's unfamiliar to you, you can go back and listen to the story series, and especially the last few weeks. But, but the two times, I believe, in the, in the history of the world where the church will be the most diverse was at its inception and then in heaven. The, the church was the most diverse that it's ever been during the first century, and it's some, somehow we lost it. And we're going to talk about what, what the title of this series is about. That's going to be a part of every week. We're, we're going to talk about Mark DeMaz's seven core commitments of a multicultural church. If all of this language is new for you, this book is amazing. Can I, can I get a close-up right here for people that are on, watching online at home? Is that good? Awesome. Building a Healthy Multicultural Church by Mark DeMaz. And then at some point in the series, too, we're going to talk about three C's, three words that I've been teaching here for the last couple of years, that if we are going to be a church that experiences healthy diversity, there's celebration, there's consideration, and there's collaboration, and then we're going to be talking about what those three words mean. So, so let's jump in it tonight. Let's, let's jump in tonight. Let's, let's talk about what, what, what multicultural church has felt like. To, to us. Now, the, the, all this first part, this, this was all added by me in on Friday. I was walking with a good friend of mine, David Ballard, on Thursday. We get together and go for a walk every now and again and see how we're doing. He's been a part of the church for a long time. We've been friends for a, a long time. And, and, uh, and towards the end of that walk, we were walking on the trails at Newport News Park. 
If you go there, make sure you walk with someone who knows where they're going, because if not, I would still be lost on that trail somewhere now. That was not, it's the most the convoluted trails ever. So you pull up a map, you're like, how is anybody supposed to ever find their way around this trail? So I just go where David's going. And, uh, and so towards the end of the walk, we began to talk about this series. I was telling him that, you know, just picking his brain, this is what I'm thinking, the direction I'm going I'm to go in, and just getting his thoughts. And, and he began to share what multicultural churches felt like for him personally. I got his permission before I, uh, this week to, to share this. And, uh, and, and so he said, sure, absolutely. If, if, if it can help others, then, then share. And, uh, and, and so as we were talking, we kind of stumbled into these various word pictures of divergent lines. And the more we talked about it, the more excited we both got because we realized, I think we're figuring something out. We, be, we both began to put words to something that we had felt. And I think that as you see these slides and as we work through them, I, I trust that you're going to say that that's how it felt for me too. And so let's look at this, this, this next slide. I think when we came here in 2007, the church was about a year and a half old. Again, we didn't really weren't familiar with the term multicultural church, but I think most churches were familiar with this idea of diverse church. And these lines represent that middle line, the blue line, because it's City Life Blue, represents the church and the direction that we're going in and things that we believe in and preferences that we have and ideas and thoughts about how to do church. And then each one of the other lines represent white culture and then the other line represents other cultures that are that are that are not white and 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 there was some diversity in the church but not a lot but even the diversity that was there we were kind of all really closely aligned with what we thought how we acted what we we believed we weren't perfectly aligned because you're never really perfectly aligned right you with me but we felt really close really close and then as Years went by and time passed, the diversity of the church began to grow. Now, diversity is not just based on ethnicity. Diversity is also based on season of life. Did you know that? Right? If, if you are a single adult here right now, you, you've got cultural norms that are important to you, values that you have that matter to you, that are very different from a young family that's got four kids. You with me? Church, you got different needs for church. Did you hear Pastor Davies like, uh huh? You got different needs for church. All right, you're just life flows differently than you. There's generational culture. Right? If you're old like me, or if you're young like them, when I go to bed, and when they go to bed, are two different things. You with me? Right? And, and, and so, and that's not just true for life. It's also true for church. You have different expectations. You've got different preferences. How loud it is, how loud it's not, the kind of music, all of that, right? You're tracking with me, it matters. Let's go to the next slide. So as the church begin to grow, this, is, this picture begins to make sense, doesn't it? The diversity of the church began to grow, and, and which we began to realize we were less aligned than we were before. Because the more people that come in as the diversity of the church grows, now you're trying to blend in and mix in all different kinds of preferences and ideas about church and church life. But we, but we still have some sense of moving in the same direction. So those lines for you might represent ethnicity. It might represent gender. It might represent generation. It might represent season of life. Let's go to the next one. Then 2020 happened. Does, is that picture not? That picture's great, isn't it? I, I, I'm on to something here. I think me and David Ballard, we're going to write a book starting on Monday. 
Now, I don't, can't for the life of me think of what happened in 2020. Oh, yeah, a presidential election. The most divisive political national election, I think, that happened in my lifetime, I would argue in modern history. I would argue in modern history. Overlay that with a global pandemic. Overlay that. You want to talk about something that amplifies our differences. A global pandemic and political crisis, right? It amplifies all of our difference. Now, all of a sudden, it feels like, right, because people begin to talk about, we were all very vocal all collectively, right? We're talking about what life is like. And then all of a sudden, church can feel like this. You, it feels like now everybody is moving in completely different directions. It feels like we're not aligned together anymore. Now, unless you're from another planet, every single person wants to pull away from that. Because there's nothing about that that sets our hearts at ease. You with me? Right? Our, our, our humanity is not set up to deal with this kind of conflict. Our humanity is, is, is we're not prepared emotionally or spiritually. Even if we are perfectly emotionally healthy, and even if we are setting the standard for spiritual maturity, there is something inside of us that wants to pull back from this experience. I didn't have this picture until this week, but I've sensed that feeling in the fall of last year. So around this time last year, I began to pray for some direction, because I knew our, our, our church just felt misaligned with one another. And that's when God began to speak to me about a new vision, which we're gonna, I'm going to give it to you again, but I, we launched that at our anniversary service at the end of January last year, a new mission, a new message that was central to the church. Soon after that, we moved into a little mini-series on four core values. Three of them had always been a part of our church, and we added a fourth. So we did a little, every week we did one on each one of those, those core values. And, and then we did a, a sermon series for March 19th that we just wrapped up. Longest series that we've ever done in the history of the church based on the message, a gospel-centered message. The, the, the reason for that now, which I can see, which is why God was leading us in that direction, is that that he was trying to give us some things that were going to realign us. He, he, was, he was trying to plant some things in this church that were going to have a, a gravitational pull that would draw us all to a place of something shared. Listen, this is important. Not to eliminate this, because I don't think that's what God's plan is. Because many of these differences are important because they are part of who we are. Many of these differences are not supposed to change. What's supposed to change is the reality that we still, in spite of our differences, there are some things that we can come together around. There's something that can unify us. Let's go to the next slide. So this next slide, as you'll see, the blue line disappears from this chart. So I'm eight months in to a 24-month strategy to bring realignment to our church as a congregation for a shared common experience. Not to eliminate how we're different, 
not to eliminate the things where we're not aligned, but to bring back some sense of prominence for how we're aligned. Let's go to the next slide. David Ballard sent me this one on Friday. I'm sure it was on his lunch break, if his boss is listening. This is good, isn't it? He was saying another way you could show that, Fred, is that the church provides a boundary of common experience. Not to him a sin, not to him a sin, but a boundary of shared experience. Because, see, the slide that was earlier that showed all the misdirection, if that's all that you see at some point, you begin to feel like you're on such a divergent path, you cannot walk with the church or with people. But when you begin to realize that there's room within the boundaries of the shared experience for your differences, you realize it's okay to stay misaligned with one another as long as you're aligned on other things that really matter. You tracking with me? And and so as you'll notice also, these lines begin to take up different positions, meaning that when you go through traumatic things like political discord and a global pandemic, sometimes your mind changes about things. That's part of life too. Sometimes you find that you've got different ideas about certain things. Others, maybe you become more entrenched and you find yourself you're on a little bit of a different plane and you end up in different places. But the question is, are there things that we can say, we're going to come together on this? Let's go to the next slide. It's a powerful imagery, is it not? If you don't think so, lie to me. All right. Make me feel good about myself. Our vision and our mission and our message and our values, that's what brings alignment to us as a congregation. These, there, are, there are other things there are, but these four, th- these four, no matter how we might find ourselves misaligned here, if we can say we're aligned here, then we can be in community with one another. I think this is part of what it means to be a healthy multicultural church. This is the new vision that we launched, that Jesus is going to be easy to find in our city. Right? We want Jesus to be easy to find in our city. Whatever city in the 757 you call home, or maybe you're traveling a little bit farther and you're from outside. Maybe you're watching online from somewhere and your city is far away from here. You want Jesus to be easy to find in your city. Church is easier to find. Is, Je- is Jesus easy to find? Is Jesus easy to find? And, and if Jesus is going to be easy to find, that's why we launched this new mission. Then we got to tell the story of the gospel and live the way of Jesus. If Jesus is going to be easy to find, we've got to tell the story of the gospel. We've got to live the way of Jesus. Now, we just did that long series from March all the way through August on telling the story of the gospel. What, what is the ultimate, what's the meta narrative of the Bible that we can all agree on? And then I shared with you at the end of last week that for each quarter in the year of 2023, we're going to do one quarter on each of the four parts of our discipleship model. I'm not going to go over that again tonight. You can listen to last week, but that's what we call about living the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus' obedience, his character, his, his, his beliefs, and then also his peace. And then our message, our message forever was heaven now, heaven forever. That's still an important part of our church, but our central message now is based on these four theological terms, atonement, redemption, justification, and propitiation. I'm at one with God, Rescued from myself, just as if I'm perfect, because Jesus paid it all. You should know that statement. You should know that statement because you should be speaking that over your life. 
If you're a parent, you should be teaching your children that say, I'm at one with God, rescued from myself, just as if I'm perfect, because Jesus paid it all. It is the simplest presentation of the gospel message that you will ever find. That's our core message here at the City Life Church. Our values, community, generosity, ministry, and diversity. Easy to find. I think that might be our December series. Just praying on Friday. I've been thinking about what's, what, what's our Christmas story going to be. I, I think maybe easy to find is going to be a good series for Christmas. What do you think? How G- Jesus made himself easy to find at his birth. I'm getting excited about it already. We already did the way. We're going to do the story. We're going to take a, we already did the story. We're going to do the way. We're going to give a whole year to that. The message I'm going to think about, that's embedded in the story, but I'm going to see. That might be the, 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 the mini-series that we do in between the, the, the roar, Holy Roar and Easy to Find. And then I've underlined this last one, diversity, because when David and I were talking, David said, it, it feels like, Fred, over the last few years, you've talked about this one more than the other three. And I said, we have. I said, by way of intentionality. Because we came in 2007, right? That we're going to be celebrating our 17 years. 17 years this coming January. 17 years. I ain't got that. It's good. 17 years. We we spent about 15 of those years talking about generosity, ministry, and community. So sometimes you've you you only right it's a zero sum game. You only have so much time to talk about. You only get 52 weeks out of the year. And so did we make a decision to amp up the volume on diversity? We did. Not not at the expense of the other three. That wasn't the goal, but to to make it equitable. We we've been talking about diversity because we wanted to bring diversity up to the place of value in your heart and ours collectively as the other three already were. Does that make sense? If, if you've ever been in a situation where your marriage was struggling, you go in for marriage counseling, a good marriage counselor, they're going to figure out the most important things that you need to talk about. It doesn't mean that the other things don't matter. It means let's talk about the things that need to get back to a place of healthy where the other parts of your relationship are healthy. So we've been in this place where we've been amplifying our conversation on diversity, not because diversity is more important than the other three, because we want that to be as important as the other three. And I think what we're experiencing as a church is we're going to start to level off. And all four of these are going to be equally present in our conversation. I think that is a picture. If there was ever a word picture that shows what multicultural church has felt like for us, I, I feel like we figured something out. Let's go to the next slide. This is never supposed to go away. I want you to hear me. That's part of what multicultural church is about. It's one of the reasons why if you were to read this book, you, you'll find that most churches aren't trying to do multicultural church because this is hard. It's, it's hard work. But that's never going to go away. But we're, what we aspire for is the next slide. Come on, that's good, isn't it? In, in spite of our differences, we all are moving together in the same direction because we're aligned with our vision and our mission and our message and our values. All right, I'm going to give you my email address, fred at citylifeva.com, F-R-E-D at citylifeva.com. If you're watching online or if you're here tonight, because we don't have time to, because i got other things I want to say. So, we, we don't have time to do Q&A, but if you, if you have questions or observations about what you just saw, I want you to email, email me this week, and then I want to pick a couple of them. You can remain anonymous, but I want to pick a couple of them and share them at the beginning of next week's message. You tracking with me? 
Fred at CityLifeVA.com. Because I think this is going to be a part of, uh, for us as a church, this is going to be a conversation we're going to be having with each other for a few months. Right? Things that you might add to that picture. Things that might be missing. If you've got questions, let's, let's have a conversation with each other because that's also part of this idea of multicultural church. The church in America. Somebody say the church in America. In 2006, a group called Mosaics, with an X at the end, set out with the goal of seeing 20% of churches in America reach 20% racial diversity by the year of 2020. Right, So by the year of 2020, 20% of churches would have 20% racial diversity. And in 2020, when they released their data, that goal had been realized. Goal had been realized. First time in the history of the American church where they had crest that 20% mark of diversity in 20% of churches, which is still astounding because you realize the opposite number of that it means 80% or not. 80% fall into the category of homogeneity or sameness, which means that by their definition, there's less than 20% diversity in that church. But this is one of my questions, and I'm, I'm going to talk about why I feel this way. It's not just because I am a pessimist, because I am a little cynical. Okay, maybe I'm a lot cynical. But I want to know is, did you do something on purpose or not? And I think that's true when we misbehave, but also when we're doing noble things. I think that question matters. Like when our kids were little, if we come into the playroom because Ethan was crying because he had a knot on his head and there was a wooden block on the floor, and he says, Derek, hit me with this. But we come to find out it's because Derek was playing a game where he was throwing wooden blocks into the toy box and Ethan just happened to walk by at the wrong time. Nobody's getting punished. Does that make sense? Because it's, it's not on purpose. If you are a parent, you're asking your kid that question 40 times a day. Did you do that on purpose? Did you do that on purpose? Now, the week prior, it might have been a different story. Maybe Derek's the one that's crying, and he's got a lump on his head because he took Thomas the train from Ethan, and Ethan, like any other show, picks up a wooden block and bops you in the head. You're not taking stuff from me, right? Then people are getting punished because somebody did something on, on purpose. I think one of the reasons why churches became more diverse, I think some was on purpose, but I think a lot were not. I think a lot of churches moved towards diversity because the world around them was changing. Neighborhoods have been, over the last decade have become more diverse. Schools have become more diverse. I think some churches became diverse because their context became diverse, which means they weren't prepared for that diversity. I think some churches became diverse because of white flight. White flight's a real thing. It happens in the real estate world, right? When neighbors, people of color move in, the statistics show that, that white families have a tendency to move out. Same things happen in churches, when dominant culture people, and it can go both ways, when, when dom, whatever the dominant culture is, if there's a huge influx of people that are different from them, the dominant culture tends to leave, at least a, a percentage does, which, right, you realize, that drives the number. It doesn't really mean they're becoming more diverse for the right reasons. It just means the dominant culture people are leaving because they throw, feel threatened by the others that are coming. Listen to this number right here. In 2020, when they did this research, the percent of black people attending multicultural churches reached 27% in 2012. 
right? That's what they found in 2020 when they looked at all they've been doing the right. They've been doing the study for a long time. When at the end of 2020, they're compiling the data. They realized it it spiked. There was a huge peak in in 2012. The percent of black people attending multicultural churches rose to 27 percent. It's historic, historic. After 2020, it dropped down to 21. Now you might say, well, that's just six percentage points. Six percentage points with these kinds of, with this kind of data and this kind of population is massive. It's massive. Something happened in 2020. Political discord, global pandemic, things that amplify our differences. And that amplification of differences, because many churches, ours included, we did some things right, but we did some things wrong, right? It was, none of us were prepared for the things that happened. Listen to this article in Christianity Today. This is by Corey Edwards. They're writing, they were having a conversation with a pastor that was sharing a dream about being a multicultural church, and, and Corey Edwards write, but I wasn't buying it. Having studied multicultural churches, I knew he was in for a rude awakening. I shared some of what I discuss in my book, The Elusive Dream. I've not read this one, but this one might be my next one. The Elusive Dream, The Power of Race in Interracial Churches. Multicultural churches tend to mimic white churches in their culture and theology. Whites are not comfortable with black church culture or addressing the elephant in the room, which is called race. We, we've experienced that in our own church. Multiracial churches work, that is, right? This, is not, this is, should not be revelatory for anyone, right? This is, this is not disputed facts here. Multiracial, multiracial churches work, that is, remain di- diverse to the extent that their white members are comfortable. It's real. In any, any Barna research, any respectable sociological Christian group out there that's doing research and study have all come to these same conclusions. All come to these same conclusions. So that number dropped because in 2020, people began to realize we're not aligned and not everybody is welcome. And so minorities begin to drift back into the places that are familiar Listen, this is, this is interesting. The Pew Research Center, they've also done a study. And in this study, they looked at church over a certain period of time. Listen to this. The religious landscape of the United States continues to change at a rapid clip. This is one of the reasons why I would use crisis for the state of the American church. This isn't true for all over the world. It's, right? this, these studies are about American church. In the Pew Research Center telephone surveys conducted in 2018 and 2019, 65% of American adults described themselves as Christians when asked about their religion, down 12%. That's massive. Down 12 percentage points over the last decade. Meanwhile, the religiously unaffiliated share of the population consisting of people who describe their religious identity as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular, now stands at 26%, which is up by 17% over the same time period. You realize, right, both of those trends are moving in the wrong direction. Less people are identifying as Christian and more people are identifying as atheist, agnostic, or nothing. Now you might say, if you've been paying attention, You might say, well, Fred, if multicultural church has been on the rise and Christianity has been in decline, 
maybe the problem was multicultural church. Is there a causal relationship between the two? This is my answer to you. I believe churches in America are in decline even while the diversity of congregations are on the rise because people who are coming to churches in search of a gospel message that promises reconciliation are finding churches preaching a cross that reconciles us to God but is simultaneously failing miserably at being reconciled to one another. Simply put, we lack a credible witness. Someone says, oh, that's a sermon series title. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I'm going to read that for you one more time, even though I know it's on the screen. I believe churches in America are in decline, even while the diversity of congregations are on the rise, because people who are coming to churches in search of a gospel message that promises reconciliation are finding churches preaching a cross that reconciles us to God, but is simultaneously failing miserably at being reconciled to one another. Simply put, we lack a credible, the problem is not with multicultural church. The problem is not with diversity. The problem is in the same way that we celebrate being reconciled to God, we're not celebrating the opportunity that we have to be reconciled to each other. What if God was waiting for you to be perfectly aligned with him before he was willing to reconcile you to himself? You know how many people throughout history would be reconciled? Yeah, that's zero. Thank you, Christina. <laughs> Romans 5.8, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Multicultural church in Scripture. Somebody say in Scripture. Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 6, reads this way. I'm going to read it out of the New American Standard. It says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Gentile is biblical language for everybody that's not Jewish. Right? And so it's every other race, every other ethnicity. Prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the administration of God's grace. Now, this is important. The language does not mean God's grace in the sense that it exists. It means that how God's grace will manifest itself in the world. How will God's grace be used? Which was given to me for you. This is, this is Paul writing to non-Jewish non people. That by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before briefly. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to mankind as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles, this, he's defining the mystery, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. That means God's family. And fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. To Jewish people, this was blasphemous. You could not be in God's family unless you were Jewish. 
Now, there was a way for people to convert to Judaism, but you had to pass through Judaism to get there. The idea of people being a part of the family of God who were non-Jewish or at least who were not willing to convert to Judaism for them was blasphemous talk. It's one of the reasons why he talks about in this book when you go through Paul's life. One of the reasons why he was often in trouble or in prison is he got accused for bringing non-Jewish people to synagogues or preaching that through Christ all people can be born into God's family. His contemporaries did not like it. This mystery is not talking about us being reconciled to God. He talks about that in other places, in his, in his epistles and in his letters. But that's not what he talks about here. Mark Damas goes into great detail, breaks this down. It's so good. This mystery that he's talking about is that, the, that the, the administration of the grace of God is not just for us to be reconciled to God. It's so that we can be reconciled to one another. Not perfectly aligned with each other, because you and I are never going to be perfectly aligned with God, but we should be reconciled to each other. There's enough for us to share, to walk together, in spite of our differences. Have you ever noticed that if you take a step back from the book of Ephesians, then Paul just takes off? And it's all about unity. Unity is not sameness or homogeneity. Unity is harmony. True biblical unity is the harmonization of differences. It's not the elimination of differences. It's the harmonizing of differences. And what harmonizes differences is something that we will find that can align us. Chapter 4, he talks about unity in the church. Chapter 5, he doubles down on the message. He talks about unity in the home. He talks about the health of the home. He talks about husbands and wives and, and children. And then in 6, you know what he does? He talks about spiritual warfare. Why? Why? Because if you buy into the mystery of Christ, that the administration of grace is for the reconciliation of people, and if you begin to put that to work in the church, and you begin to put that to work in your home, you might as well just look out because the devil is coming for you. Why is he coming for you? The devil knows the credibility of our message cannot be overcome. The devil is defenseless against truth. He knows that the credibility of our message cannot be overcome. Is deception, can that be at work? Sure, sure. But he's going he's to make very little ground. The message he can't overcome, but you know what he can? The next best option is to destroy the credibility of the witness. Destroy the credibility of the witness. And I think that's part of his plan for the church today. And I would say he's finding far too much cooperation from us on the inside. Revelation 12, 11 says, and they overcame, overcame the enemy, overcame the devil, Christians, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, loving not their lives even unto death. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, loving not their lives even unto death. This idea of loving not their lives even unto death wasn't just about them being willing to die for the message of the gospel. I think it means if we understand the Bible in light of itself, which is an important hermeneutical principle, that it is also talking about loving not our lives even unto death, meaning that I'm willing to find where I am aligned with you, even if that costs me something. Loving not their lives even unto death wasn't just talking about being willing to be martyred physically. 
It, it means that they were willing to die to self, willing to walk with people who they were not in perfect alignment with about politics and about doctrine all the time. And that list goes on and on and on and on, that they were willing to die to self just a little bit, not lose themselves, not give up their differences, but they're just willing to say, I'm, I'm willing to focus a little bit more on where we're aligned than where we're not. I'm not going to read these excerpts. You get this book. If you want this book, you can't afford this book, you let me know, I'll buy you this book. But you can't have this one. This one's mine. Don't make me hit in the head with a wooden block. You know what I mean? I'm just saying. Those boys learn that from somebody. God help us. Revelation 2, 2 to 4. This is so good. The first part of Revelation, we realize, right, is not apocalyptic. The first part of, of, of Revelation is John being given a message for these, these, these churches. And these are the churches over which we now know he was a bishop. He had a leadership, he had spiritual leadership over these different houses of worship in these different cities. And so this one he's, is, is what God was giving to John as he was in prison on the island of Patmos that, that, that he wrote to the church of Ephesus. I know your deeds and your labor and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil people. And then you have put those who call themselves apostles to the test, and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have, persevere, you have perseverance and have endured on account of my name and have not become weary. Here it comes. Many, If you've been around church, you know what's coming. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Now, I've always heard this taught my whole life that, that, that first love as by way of priority the most important love. But as Mark Demise talks about here, as you study the original language, this idea of first love is not one of priority. It means a love that you had at the beginning. So good. He, he's saying, the thing that I have against you is that love that you had as a church when you first started, you lost it. And we know what that love is because we have a letter from Paul to the church of Ephesus talking about how they were a church that was known for loving one another. People who were different than they were. People who had different political backgrounds and different ethnic backgrounds and different seasons of life different vocations different views about government and the world, right? There was something about that church of Ephesus. They walked in the revelation of the mystery of Christ. The mystery that the cross does not just reconcile us to God, but it reconciles us to one another. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I invite you to stand with me. I want Jesus to be easy to find in my city. There's going to come a day for me and there's going to come a day for you where this life comes to an end. It's going to be over. God's 
assigned to us each a certain number of days. Can I just tell you one of the dreams that I have for my life? Is that by the time it's over, I want Jesus to be easier to find where I've lived than he was before. Places that I've walked, places where I live, places where I work. Was, was Jesus easier to find when my life is over than it was before I got there? And, and what I'm asking you to do is, will you join me in that same dream, not just for your life, but could, could we come together and say, let's dream it with each other? That as we look out into the world, the places that we're going to go, the places that we're going to pass through, can, can we just for this moment, I mean, our, our vision needs to continue to be that Jesus is going to be easy to find in a city because this is where we are. But can we just for this moment just agree together that we, let's just drop our city for a moment. And we just want Jesus to be easier to find. We want him to be easier to find. And can I just tell you, I'm, I'm convinced, I'm, I'm giving my life's work to it, that he's going to be a lot easier to find when the world out there that needs to know him finds a credible witness in those that are preaching the message. See, we can tell the story of the gospel all we want. But are we living the way of Jesus? Is, is the life that they observe in alignment with the message that we're proclaiming? And I don't think the message of the gospel is complete unless it says, the cross reconciles me to God and it makes a way for lives that seem irreconcilable to become reconciled. For lives that seem irreconcilable to become reconciled. It does not displace our differences. It just gives us a common path to walk down together. Father, I pray for us tonight. I pray for the City Life Church. We, we know, God, that when, when, we, when, when vision is, is, is laid down, that sometimes people realize, I'm not sure I can be a part of that. But God, I'll say in this moment, I sh I'm sure glad you're calling me to be a part of it. And I pray that you would stir in every heart that's listening, every heart that's watching, that that picture of all those lines that seem divergent isn't going to remind them of why they need to keep pulling away, but they're going to think of all those other pictures, and it's going to remind them why, why they should stay. that there's a path, that there's a vision and a mission and a message and values that we can come together in spite of how different we might be, in spite of how different that we might think. And we know God as divisive as the election was in 2020 and as tragic as the global pandemic was, God, we know that in our future, there's, there's gonna be more things waiting for us that amplify our differences, but God, help us to be ready Help us to be more prepared for the next one than we were for the last one. A clear path, a clear line that binds us together. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship.